Welcome to Gondrepreneur, helping Gondrepreneurs grow and succeed in every sector of the cannabis industry. Gondrepreneur will introduce you to the cannabis pioneers who are paving the way for future generations. Learn about the shifting landscape of the market directly from the experts and get to know some of the leading minds in the industry as they tell their story of struggles and success. Now, CannabisRadio.com presents Gondrepreneur. Hi there, and welcome to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Lose. The Gondrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly to entrepreneurs, cannabis growers, product developers, and cannabis medicine researchers, all focused on making the most of cannabis normalization. As your host, I do my best to bring you original cannabis industry ideas that will ignite your own entrepreneurial spark and give you actionable information to improve your business strategy and improve your health and the health of cannabis patients everywhere. Today, my guest is Ken Morrow, a fellow much better known over the last 30 years as K from Tricome Technologies. Ken is truly an OG. He has been at the forefront of cannabis horticulture for decades. His writing has appeared in High Times Magazine 50 times in the last 15 years, but perhaps his greatest influence has been sharing his experiences informally to small groups, individuals, and mentoring others online. In 1999, he was chosen by High Times Magazine as having the best grow room in their 25 year history. Between 1997 and 2000, he won nine California Cannabis Cups. He has consulted for many of the top activists, legislators, research scientists, and doctors, and was featured on an episode of 60 Minutes and has appeared on CNN. Kay has just published a gorgeous new book titled Marijuana Horticulture Fundamentals, a comprehensive guide to cannabis cultivation and hash production. Today, we're going to talk about his new book, some cannabis cultivation history, and his deep knowledge of hash making techniques. Thanks for being on the show, Ken. Thank you very much for having me, Shango. It's a pleasure. So, Ken, having participated in cannabis for the last 30 years, to see some cannabis legalization finally happening has got to be both a shock and a relief. What has this experience been like for you? Shock and awe, to say the least. To see politicians embrace us, to you know, see the whole movement moving forward is just, I honest, me and my friends speaking with Mel Frank the other day, never really seen this day happening in reality. It must be really encouraging to, you know, because we all, we all, you know, back in the prohibition days, we were like, oh man, if we could only live long enough to see legalization. And it was like, holy smokes, it's here. That must be really gratifying for somebody like you who did so many years of research under prohibition where it was a combination of taboo, disrespect, and trying to, you know, not get in trouble. It must be a real liberating feeling now to finally be able to step out and have at it. Let's just say it's gratifying to be proven right in the end. Um, (laughs) You know, as I said, speaking with Mel Frank yesterday, he's uh, approaching 70 and he thought he was retired and that was the end of the game. And he's never been so busy as he is right now. It's it's incredible. He's, 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 you know, someone suggested he put his photos in an art exhibit and he literally doesn't have time to do so, so. That's good for him. So what has it been like for you going from kind of the the shadows of cannabis? I mean, you were known, but you really, you were known as K from Tricom Technologies. And now we're like audaciously saying your name, Ken Morrow, on the air. So what does that feel for, for you to come out from where you are a thought leader in the industry, but you had to use a pseudonym to still being a thought leader in the industry, but being able to claim that respect with your real name? Uh, still, every time someone approaches me and uses my first and last name, I expect them to pull out a badge. <laughs> that's, <laughs> and, that, and that's reality, you know. 
So it's it's shocking to me. It's very humbling. You know, I'm not really the type of person to be in the spotlight, so to speak. It takes me aback a little bit. Right on. Well, you're definitely going to be in the spotlight even more here in the next few months promoting your new book. Congratulations on that. It is a really gorgeous volume. One of the things that I appreciate most about it is the conversational tone you take. Reading it feels like hanging out with you and just having you explain it to me. And it makes the writing really immersive. I also appreciated that the book isn't just packed with bud photos like some are. Your photos are very explanatory of what you're trying to say, and they really support your writing. Did you find it challenging distilling your you know, vast 30 years of experience into a single book? It was kind of unusual, but like I kept it to the basic fundamentals. So, you know, just teaching people how to do what to do and all that kind of stuff was, you know, just kind of start at step one and go to step 100 kind of sort of thing. And thank you very much for your kind words. It's a labor of love, first and foremost. And the limited amount of pictures that are in the book also reflect my amount of work. I mean, 40% of the photos in the book are actually my work. I actually did the work, grew the plants, manicured them dried them, cured them, cloned them, everything else. So I'm very proud of that fact that most of the work in the book I did myself. Well, you know, and you can really feel that too because, you know, when somebody is taking photographs, say for an internet forum or something, and the goal is to show how to do something, they show pictures that are very step-by-step. And that's what I experienced with your book too. And I got to say, when you say the limited photos in your book, you must be limited versus what you have totally because I thought the book was jam-packed. I mean, it's colorful, it's beautiful. There's plenty of, you know, real solid narrative and you're explaining me how to do things. But it is, there's so many pictures there that if pictures say a thousand words, it's as if the book is four times the length because the pictures that you have taken intentionally really do a lot to explain what you're trying to break down. So had you always wanted to write a book since you were already a writer for High Times or did somebody give you an idea or or even beg you to do it? Well, I was fortunate enough that I knew the owners of Green Candy Press, and they gave me the opportunity. And the qualities that you're speaking of, the layout, the design, the color, everything else, the credit really goes to Green Candy Press, their team, everything else. I mean, you know, I just wrote the words. I'm proud of the photographers. There's some of the best photographers in the industry, from Mel Frank to Bubble Man to Andre Grossman, on and on and on. One of the things I'm proudest of in the book is that I was able to give love back to my community. If you look at the acknowledgments, if you look at the references, I explain to people this isn't the best book. If you buy the book from George Cervantes, from Mel Frank, from Ed Rosenthal, from Robert Connell Clark, if you buy all the information, read all the information, then you've got a tenth of the picture, so to speak. So I'm very, very proud that I got to give love back to people like Thomas Alexander, who did the magazine Sensimilia Tips, and many other obscure individuals that people don't know who they are, but this is how we got where we are today. So I I really, really took pride in giving credit to the people that came before me. That's really great. You know, another thing that I liked about the book is that, you know, when I was in college and just starting to read these books, the only publishers, you know, like C-level, D-level publishers were putting out these books and they, you know, the binding wasn't very good and the pictures were kind of a drag and sometimes things were, you know, out of focus. But now that people can get behind this and the quality is going up, it's really, you know, a beautiful volume. And that's nice because you're right, you know, there there are several different books that you you can pick up and only know a tenth of what you will eventually know as a cultivator, but it sure is a pleasurable experience when it looks good in your hands. <laughs> nah, thank you very much. 
Right on. So what do you would you say, Ken, is, is one of the most under-publicized but extremely helpful new techniques or piece of information that growers should know? Right now, it's just, you know, how do you start with your design of your facility? You know, with the mass proliferation of cultivated marijuana in the United States, the re- wholesale price is dropping, 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 dropping. So mm, the number one piece of advice I can give is be mindful of your actual cost of production. I mean, if, if you're selling grams for, for $6, but it costs you $9 to produce, you'll very soon be out of business. And, you know, be mindful of when you're creating efficiency to not cut corners because you can create efficient production with and still produce top quality cannabis is what I'm saying. That's the whole thing is is really mindful of your actual cost of production and the efficiency of your production facility is, is, is the biggest thing I can say. So if we're going to be talking specifically about saving money and efficiency, are you down with LED lights now? Yeah, LED. Well, LED lights and induction lights are fantastic for cloning and fantastic for vegetative, not for flowering, in my opinion, at this point. They will get to that level very soon, but a large-scale facility, I very rarely see a LED bank over their flowering production facility. It's amazing that LED is going to have to give up a lot of the bad reputation it had before it had gotten this far. You know, in the early days, people were like, "Oh yeah, let's use LED," and then everything was all laggy, and you know, it didn't it didn't work right. But now there's been so many jumps forward in the technology and the ability to you know really hone in at 6700K or whatever you want to grow at to be able to adjust that. The technology really has come a long way. Before we go to the break, what's another good efficiency tool that you think that uh, new school grow room should have? On a large scale, I explain to people the matrix is, from what I see it being now, is 90% of the product that's produced today is going to end up turned into concentrates. People are only going to consume the top 10%, the best of the best. The rest of it will be ripened up. Once it's ripened up in a two-week period, you're going to get a accentuated level of cannabinoids and terpenoids up to 25%. In that two-week period, if you get an uh, uptake of and ripening of your desirable compounds, as I said, by eliminating the process of cutting them down, replacing them, utilizing that square footage efficiently and properly, ripening up that lower material, if you will, you're going to get a 25% increase. That'll take two weeks. Two weeks times four is eight weeks. That's a whole flowering cycle. If you can get the same amount of cannabinoids and terpenoids by ripening up the same material, you get to skip one growth cycle, but get the same amount of desirable components. Therefore, you've saved the money on that whole production cycle. Then you're going to turn around and you're going to since you only took 10%, the other 90% is going to get fresh frozen. So you're not going to really dry and cure. You don't have to build a huge drying and curing facility for that purpose, if you will. And the equipment and the labor associated with that process. On a 36,000 square foot facility, one of my clients spends between $100,000 and $140,000 per month to trim 400 pounds. And this is a monthly cost. Well, the other 90% won't be dried. It won't be cured. It won't be trimmed. So you can eliminate that cost. That stuff will be fresh frozen and extracted. By doing so, you'll get an increased level of terpene content. By the simple action of drying, you lose up to 40% of the available terpenes on the plant. So by not drying and not curing, you save all the labor cost, production cost, everything associated with it. And the final product is a terpene-rich concentrate that you can turn into anything you want from there. So therefore, that's the matrix, and that's how you produced and saved yourself millions of dollars in drying, curing, and space allocation. 
that is such a beautiful and elegant solution. And one other great thing about it is that is it is simply a different way of thinking about it instead of actually having to spend money on some kind of new equipment. Well, we're going to take a short break and be right back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. After a short message from the sponsors who made this show possible, Gontrepreneur will return. Gontrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem, so I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back to help Gondrepreneurs grow. You're listening to Gondrepreneur, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Los, and our guest this week is Kay from Tricome Technologies. So, Kay, you know, when you were getting into all of this 30 years ago, you guys were breeding with land races and, you know, uh, seeds were coming in in shipments. A lot of you guys were going out and traveling internationally and looking for the seeds and bringing them back. But really, you were, you were, the building blocks were land races the way Mother Nature had created them in these bioregions all across the globe. Well, nowadays, it's harder for them to get their hands on the land races, both because we've got so many hybrids that are in the economy now that people can just start with a, a high-quality hybrid instead of a land race, but also a lot of the original land races in these you know, generally third-world countries have been muddied by breeders taking their genetics there to trade. What have you seen has been the big difference between working with land races for breeding like you did, you know? 20, 30 years ago versus working with hybrids primarily, which is what people are doing now. Well, uh, hybrids are much more stable. Back in the day when you were dealing with land races, you would go and you would breed two plants and the genetic diversity that you got from the progeny of those plants was very, very, very diverse. With the hybrids, it's a little bit closer. You're still dealing with a massive amount of genetic diversity, if you will, but not as wide. You know, With the old land races, you could get anything, you know? short, squat, tall, but usually undesirable, very, very lanky, and a long, long growth cycle. So, you know, both through, you know, breeding, genetic selection, if you will, you know, turning out the hybrids, 
the hybrids, you know, you're still going to get a lot of diversity, but certainly not as much as you would with the old school hybrids. You know, I must admit, I'm kind of surprised by your answer. I thought you were going to tell me that we have whittled down our genetic diversity in a negative way because the original land races held so many options. But but actually what I'm gathering is, you're, you know, those wild plants and those wild seeds, they were harder for breeders because they were like a bucking bronco, whereas the hybrids now have been settled down to the point where that you can still draw out genetic diversity, but, you know, there's a lot less static and noise in the signal. Am I am I picking up what you're putting down? Yeah, but you know, I understand that's kind of speculation on my part. There's still a lot of those land races out there available that have been collected, and we really don't know what the benefits of those plants are because we're just coming into the age of proper analyzation, if you will. So, you know, there are you know what 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 if the old Oaxacan from 1977 had a you know elevated level of a desirable component that we've somewhat lost. So, you know, in the the future, I expect that we'll go back and cherry pick some of those to breed them into our current hybrids, if you will. You know, a couple times on this show over the last couple months, we've gotten into the conversation of how technology is helping breeding. And we had a really good show with Reggie Godino from Steep Hill uh, talking sure. about what'll be necessary to get patents on these plants. And he was suggesting F9 is going to be necessary and how much nicer it is to be able to work with the technology that's available now to find out so much more about the genetics of the plants and not have to grow them up to maturity. In what ways are you using some of these new technology tricks that are available to us to better your own breeding program? There's only three, four genetic programs going on right now. And, and for the benefit of the industry, they're not really focusing on genetically modified cannabis because fortunately, nobody really wants this. And so I don't really see it being profitable. People talk about, you know, I won't mention the names, but, you know, multiple large scale corporations coming in and monopolizing this throughout their genetics. I I, I just don't see that really happening because you've got multiple programs right now doing DNA research. I, I believe that that DNA research will guide the selections of genetics we breed in the future. And as the great David Watson pointed out, it's much easier to get the desirable results or compounds or whatever you're looking for by selective breeding than genetic modify. So that's what I'm looking for right now is, is to see, you know, they've mapped both, you know, multiple times have mapped the cannabis genome, both sativa, hemp, this, that, and the other thing, someone in Canada with a purple cushion and another hemp variety. And I think that that technology is really going to aid in producing the desirable strains, varietals, compounds that we want in the future, not varietals, but cultivars, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So I understand from talking to you the other day that one of the things that really has got you juiced right now is doing extractions. And you know, you've been doing extractions for decades, but specifically doing extractions to isolate particular aspects of the plant that meet particular patient needs so that you can customize an extraction for them to either take orally or to smoke that will help their particular ailment. Tell us a little bit about how you've been approaching that well it just you know as a kid wants to take apart a toy i look at the you know once you've extracted something you understand that there's multiple components well how do you separate those components so you know you go back into you know basic organic chemistry but then you've got to go look at other people's patents and equipment used and stuff and you know 
pick pieces of parts from other industries to try to accomplish your goal, if you will. But, you know, uh, how do you separate THCs from CBD? Well, me and multiple other people have have figured out how to do that, be it from either the drug cultivar or the hemp cultivar. So then you separate the terpenes. Well, how do you fractionate the terpenes into their separate compounds and, you know, do that? So it was just, it was just a fascination thing, you know, challenge myself, see if I could and try to figure out how. Well, now I've figured them out and I've separated them all. I'm not qualified to say or speak about what they're good for or what they do. So I consider myself just a formulator. I formulate products that are going to be utilized by medicinal corporations, if you will, in the future. So that's all I'm really trying to do is formulate products to when the the members of the International Cannabinoid Research Society or the Research Institute of Pharmaceutical Sciences wants pure pharmaceutical-grade compounds that they can research I want to be the person that provides them. Right on. So I've got a question for you, but I want to say up front that this is not a leading question. I don't have an opinion on this. I am mm-hmm. looking at this for your opinion. So we're all big fans of whole plant medicine, the entourage effect. We've had Ethan Russo on the show talking about how the THC, the terpenes, and the cannabinoids are all working together in concert. What do you feel about teasing apart the plant to find its discrete parts and then re-putting them together into a customizable oil? Do you still feel that that is whole plant medicine at that point? Whether it is or whether it isn't. Say that you just separated beta-carophyllene oxide from a cannabis plant or or some other compound that you couldn't get from an, a, another source. If you found out that there was an ailment that that basic component was good for, you might put that whole compound back onto the whole plant extract. So, you know, yes, there's going to be some ailments that, you know, require or are treatable by certain compounds. So why would you give them a whole plant extract if they don't need a whole plant extract, if they just need part A, part B, part C? I mean, based on, you know, the anecdotal evidence I see, this thing has multiple, multiple benefits. I I can't see that the exact chemical composition and ratio is fixing all those different things. And and maybe one would be mm, helped if it had an accelerated or a higher level of a given component. So that's kind of, you know, I'm not, again, qualified to speak, but that's what I'm trying to put together. If someone figures out that I've got this great whole plant extract, but I wish it had more beta-carophyllene in it, okay, boom, there you go. Right on. I, um, you know, that's a, that actually kind of teases out a new in-between position that I haven't seen before because, you know, a lot of people really got into whole plant medicine after uh, Marinol came out that just isolated THC and didn't have nearly as good as an effect as whole plant medicine does. But you're right, with the new technologies and with the new research that guys like you and others are doing, we actually can kind of rebuild a whole plant without just isolating one single part. I'm going to have to mull on that in the shower a little bit. But also for right now, we need to take another break. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. After a short message from the sponsors who made this show possible, Gontrepreneur will return. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way.
Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Mention the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on cannabisradio.com. And don't try to debate me on something. Motherfucker, I can't do many things well. But words are my shit. The Stoner Jesus Show, live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. We're back to help gondrepreneurs grow. You're listening to Gondrepreneur, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Los, and our guest this week is Kay from Tricom Technologies. So right before the break, we were talking about the evolution from just growing cannabis to all of the new school extraction techniques. And, you know, Ken, you were there in the early days when people were first started talking about BHO. You know, would you give us a little time machine moment and go back and, because we're all excited about extracts now and comparing and Contrasting. Just give us a little snapshot about what it was like when people started moving beyond just simple hash and into hash oils and these new extraction techniques. Well, it's kind of a weird evolution. First, cannabis started getting better and better and better. So it started producing accelerated levels of THC on the waste material, be it the trim. So I started playing with the trim. There was no internet. There was no information. You couldn't figure out how to do this. So I started, you know, there was very few books or information on how to make hashish. The art was kind of lost in North America until a book from Robert Connell Clark called Hashish came out and then it demystified everything. But so I started, you know, breeding cannabis and that cannabis produced accentuated levels of chemicals. Well, I wanted to isolate those chemicals. So I taught myself dry seed. Then I got a piece of communications from Neville Schumacher and David Watson that kind of basically loosely explained explain the water separation method. So I delved into that and published with Mel Frank the first water hash and dry sieve article in High Times Magazine in 2000. Very soon after that, produced the very first BHO extraction article for Red Eye Magazine in the year 2000 for Red Eye Magazine. So, you know, for, you know, 16 years ago, explained the process of BHO extractions, but also wrote the first Rick Simpson article long before he did. I just didn't claim it had a cure for cancer or anything like that. So, you know, it was just a raw hash oil extraction, something people had been doing for thousands of years. So I certainly didn't invent it or anything else. But so I've been participating in the concentrate thing for a very long time. So the butane thing, you know, just the raw extraction from trim, but then you started extracting from bud and how do you super refine? How do you refine a video called medicinalalchemy.com came out that kind of pushed the industry forward. It taught the person how to make shatter or butter at their house. So that kind of proliferated, helped the industry go. But the High Times Cannabis Cups, people meet every month and they share information. The internet, it just started to literally explode. And, you know, then the processes of winterization and the uses of application like vacuum drying ovens or rotary vaporization apparatus 
courses or, you know, closed loop systems. I mean, you know, people are getting hardcore crash courses in, in organic chemistry in the past two years. So to see the thing, you know, massively proliferate like this has just been something to watch in the past two years. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, it is really exciting. And it's also kind of strange, too, to some of the, you know, the early prohibition growers. I remember the first time I explained a nug run to, you know, somebody who'd been growing since 1976. He was aghast, right? Because, you know, he grows these beautiful flowers and he wants to take care of them. And the idea that we were going to put it in a, you know, mechanical extraction technique to take out the essential parts was like, you know, some kind of like heresy. When you first started doing this, all the all these years ago were you getting that kind of pushback too like you know you know that's cute what you're doing but what the hell are you doing yeah well it didn't really become commercially viable till the like i said the wholesale price of cannabis dropped i mean at this point you know you can get more for the concentrate than you can the raw flowers so the dynamic has really really shifted once you explain to that individual i'm going to take your beautiful flowers and turning them into something more desirable on the open market then he completely understands and that's where it goes yeah, that's a good point. And then that's probably the big difference, too, between in the early days you were just using trim, which used to be called trash, which is now totally not trash, exactly. versus the prices coming down so much that you can use flour. And also probably there's probably more people growing now than there ever has been. And so there's a lot more, you know, B minus and lower flour on the market that doesn't have the bag appeal to even be sold at retail. So there's just more of it in general, probably, too. Correct. So in the early days, did you kind of you know, Johnny Appleseed it a bit? I mean, you're very clear that you know you shared bringing this knowledge out with other people, and that is good. But you know, in your own world, were you finding that you were going around kind of turning people on to this technique and blowing their minds, much like you know people are doing now by turning on their friends to you know doing a rosin press and a hair straightener, and like everybody thinks they're a demigod? I can imagine that as you were taking this around and showing people, their mind was kind of blown kind of stayed to myself. So I just showed it to a very small handful of friends, you know, Ed Rosenthal, Rob Clark, people like that. I, I, I don't really go out and show my wares just for the sake of showing my wares, you know? Right on. And if you're going to talk about the people you showed it to, you should certainly, you know, name two out of the pantheon, right? <laughs> Ed and, and Bob. So, well, I, I only, uh-huh. I, I explained, I only got where I am because of people like them. <laughs> right on. Yeah, we're all standing on somebody else's shoulders, right? For sure, for sure. So, Ken, that's all the time that we've got for today. Thank you so much for ha- uh, being on the show and sharing your vast experience with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's really been a pleasure. You can find out more about Ken Morrow, his speaking engagements, and his new book, Marijuana Horticultural Fundamentals, A Comprehensive Guide to Cannabis Cultivation and Hash Production, on his Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Tricome Technologies. We also have a link to his book on Amazon in the notes attached to this podcast. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur podcast in the podcast section at gontrepreneur.com and also in the Apple iTunes store. On the gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news, product reviews, and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcriptions of this podcast. You can also download the gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. You can also find the show on the iHeartRadio Network app, bringing the Gontrepreneur podcast to 60 million mobile devices. Do you have a company that wants to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Go ahead and email us at grow at gontrepreneur.com to find out how. Thanks as always to Brasco for producing our show. I'm your host, Shango Los.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.